Hey, I'm Robert Pearson. This is Follow the Leader. Um, just some thoughts today, I guess. And uh, not like even political thoughts, just thoughts about elections in general. Uh, yeah, a lot of thoughts. So, I don't know, my main thoughts is like the, the moral ramifications of elections. It It's complicated is the sort of the difficulty I'm having as I think about it. Uh, a lot of... It seems like Christians are split. I don't know what the numbers of each side are, but the positions, the camps are two main positions. One is that it's a civic duty, whatever that, that phrase means. It's, it's our duty to go and vote, and as Christians we should go vote. And the other one is that Voting means that you're morally culpable for things that the state does. And so it ties you morally to the state. So, like, when you go into other countries and blow people up as a, as a country, like, blow people up who are just defending their homes, then that, you're morally responsible for that as a Christian because you voted for the leader who made that decision. Versus... No, we have a, a biblical mandate to go vote. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm solidly in the I don't know camp. Uh, I went and voted because, you know, whatever nonsense comes down the pipe, I'd at least like to register my, uh, my preference. And then I think the politician man is morally culpable for the decisions he makes in office. Um, I chose someone based on their messaging and the promises that they made. And so when they don't meet up to those promises, that's them breaking the word and having lied in addition to whatever else they do. But uh, I don't know, it's still, it's still complicated enough. I don't know. Um, I'm sure if you have an opinion, I would love to read about it. I've seen seen tons of Bible verses on each side. You know, render to Caesar, what is Caesar's, or... Uh, Forget, forget the case the guy was making. Um, the one I heard most recently was a Seventh Day Adventist pastor out of Norfolk. Um, I don't know. I like listening to people I don't necessarily agree with because it it forces me to think instead of just dismissing them out of hand. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's fascinating because the the biblical mandates are clear. But they're for a monarchy. Even in a Roman culture, only certain class of people were allowed to, uh, you know, appoint senators or vote or whatever, or um, even like have full rights as citizens. It was essentially just a, a fancy monarchy. So it, uh, I don't know. So in Scripture, you know, it says, you know, fear God, love the brotherhood, honor the king. Uh, Peter, something or other, and uh, Paul has the the same opinion that we need to uh, we need to honor the um, yeah we need to follow the uh, the king and the the authorities put over us for they are appointed by God. No, all authority comes from God. Okay, but election, the authority supposedly comes from the people. That's interesting. And then you've got 
you know, millionaires behind the scenes that are trying to put their thumb on the scale of the people and affect who's put in power. And then you've got you've got people that listen to uh, media that's not always telling them the truth. So there's that. It's uh, I don't know. It's fascinating because the authority that winds up in power is often not informed. Like it's the the people approved of it, but. They approved of it under a lie. Or, uh, you know, really good propaganda or whatever. Broken promises. So does that mean we don't have to obey that leader because they weren't straightforward? It just muddies the waters quite a bit. Is Is it an honor the office instead of the man kind of thing? I don't know. I mean, it's obvious we're supposed to pray for them. Obviously, God, uh, I still believe God chooses them. And uh, even when it's a bad leader, it's uh, they're allowed to rise to power as judgment uh, on the people's morality. But, I don't know, still, it's, uh, it's just fascinating for me to think about. That's, that's mainly my thought today. That's the other thing is voting then if you voted for somebody else and they didn't win, I guess your submission's then to the system in place. But then when the people inside of that system aren't using it appropriately or cheating or playing outside of that system, you wind up uh, you wind up right back where you are. It's just it's muddy and gray. As opposed to somebody being the king and everybody's like, Well, it's that's the king. We just do what he says. It's a lot uh, morally wise, it's a lot simpler. Scripture talks directly to it. Bam, we're on a roll, but our representative democracy is it's blurry. It makes it blurry. Well, that's that's mostly what I'm thinking about today is are we driving forward yet, bud? There we go. Just I don't know how all that how all that plays out. Um I mean, you see a lot of the, uh, you know, politics and Christianity in general is confusing. Because you see a lot of people who put a hard-line schism between them and say, oh, you can't talk politics, you know, we just talk Christianity and stuff. And I don't, I don't think that's entirely right. You know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of different Christian media things will... You know, we won't openly endorse a candidate, but, uh, you know, everybody should go vote. Vote your conscience. And uh, whoever wins, Jesus is still king. Yes. But I think there's a place for an informed Christian to voice their opinion on public events. And that, I do, I do believe, is something with very clear biblical precedent... Because that's why John the Baptist got his head cut off. Is he was running around telling everybody what Herod did and that it was wrong. And Herod arrested him for it. That was, and eventually he was beheaded because his uh, Herod's wife wanted him dead. 
but that's like he wouldn't have been arrested if he wasn't what? They were talking about politics of the day. That kind of stuff, when like kings are murdering their own brothers and doing like backroom deals and stuff, everybody knows. Everybody knows when that happens. They're just polite enough not to mention it because they don't want to be next. Not John the Baptist. He made it his business to tell everybody, hey, Herod's murdering a bunch of his family members and marrying his other family members. That was, that was like John the Baptist's job in addition to saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord and the kingdom of heaven is near. He also said, that guy's killing his family and uh, being a creep. Like, I, I fully imagine that John the Baptist would probably have been kicked off Twitter if uh, it was some kind of Twitter thing that existed at that time. But uh, I don't know. It's just fascinating to think about, but I, I do think it's... We as Christians are fully allowed to speak the truth about people in power. Um, I don't like the phrase truth to power because it sounds dumb and it sounds like some fancy rhetoric that socialists use. I just don't like it. Um, but that's we're supposed to speak the truth at all times and occasionally it, it is, falls on people who are in positions of power. So that's... There's that. It gets a lot more confusing because everything's... We're surrounded by media, which is essentially marketing for political parties now. It's uh, it's been made very clear. It's, uh, it's just marketing. We're surrounded by marketing all the time. Which is not quite lying, but it's definitely not telling the truth. And so when, you know, you're surrounded by family and loved ones that believe nonsense and they believe it so vehemently sometimes at the point they're going to just ostracize you. There was that, what was it, a New York Times piece or something where, uh, you know, some lady's like, I'm not talking to my mother anymore because politics is more important than her, her family. Um, I think giving it the name politics helps us segmented off. These are human beings who are being given power to control other people's lives. So it, it's worth talking about when they've done something immoral or been corrupt. And uh, when you're talking about what they've done while they were in other offices and stuff. It's just... I don't know. I think, I think it is a little weak to refuse to back any particular party or any particular candidate because you don't want any... We, we should all just get along. You should also be strong enough to listen to other people that don't agree with you. That should be fine. I intentionally listened to a live stream the other day of you know the election results or whatever that I didn't agree with. I knew they I didn't agree with them, and I listened to them on purpose because I was curious how they were you know viewing events. What kind of rhetoric are they using to describe what's happening? I don't know. I was interested. You should be able to state your opinion and have a couple angry comments go back and forth and everybody goes on with their lives. Uh, that doesn't mean that you the focus of your messaging is consumed with politics. Uh, but it's just fascinating. 
that it becomes uh, this big to-do. There we go. I realized I was talking around specific candidates. My goal is for this to not be so anchored in time and be a little more timeless, just as politics or elections in general. But, to be clear though, I did... I voted for Trump because socialism destroys people and destroys countries. And I firmly believe is provably satanic. So there's that. So any side that supports socialist rhetoric, strategies, policies, uh, it's is out. It's done. I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, there also happen to also be the party of infanticide. So there's that. They, they openly support infanticide, and they call it a right, and talk about expanding infanticide rights. Nonsense. Utter nonsense. Moloch worship. I won't have it. So, that's, that's where I personally stand on stuff. But once again, you should, be, you should be strong enough to hear that and go, oh, I disagree with him. Okay. And then listen to other things of value that I have to say, because it's, it's not all politics. It's much more important your relationships with your family members, how you treat your kids when you go home at night. The, uh, oh, what is it? There's a, there's a guy, Abraham Hamilton the Third. There we go. It's, it's, it's a long name. And uh, he does a political commentary show on Christian radio, but he said something awesome. And I think the way he said it was like it was an old adage, but what happens in your house is more important than what happens in the White House. And that's, that's it. It sums it up perfectly, right? That doesn't mean we don't care what happens in the White House, who's in the White House, what they're doing, um, you know, what, what happened with the blue dress, those kind of things. Um, it's important, but it should not consume our lives. And that's, uh, you know, that's always how Satan works, too. When you take a step in the right direction, he wants to shove you uh, the Bible says a lot, it speaks about righteousness uh, quite a bit, and obeying God as turn neither to the right nor the left, but walk straight ahead. I'm not making uh, no, no political application of right and the left, because uh, there, there are flaws in either, but that's, that's outside the scope of this. Right now it's don't vote in fantasy is that, but the... Uh, don't go to either to the right nor to the left. So whenever you're trying to center yourself, Satan's going to push you one way or the other. So when you're mad at what's going on and you want to get up and do something, Satan's going to shove you to the point of rage. He wants you to like, that's right, be angry. And he's going to drive you into, you know, being rash. And, uh, you know, the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. That doesn't mean you wouldn't have righteous anger motivating you to act, but it, not wrathful. Wrathful is when you, you do stupid things or exhibit violence or harm on somebody or, um, you know, we've all made those replies on uh, social media where as soon as you hit enter, you think, maybe I shouldn't have done that. You know, sometimes the platform, you can delete it. Other times you just got to let it ride and apologize or whatever. But so, yeah, that's where Satan wants you. He wants you in the foolish zone instead of acting boldly, driven by righteous anger, and going as far as you should and then stopping. Or the same way, if you show caution, Satan wants to push you. Be afraid. That's right. You need to be afraid. Be fearful. Don't move. Don't think. Don't act. 
And so he wants you to either act rashly out of anger or to hold still out of trepidation and fear. And God says very clearly, do not be afraid. Fear not. He says it a bunch of times. I, I've always heard the 365 times in the Bible, don't be afraid. It doesn't, it doesn't show up that. It's either way more than that or way fewer than that, depending on what you search, what translation. I think it just sounds good. Because uh, I think they're including, like, be of good courage and, uh, you know, take courage. I, I think they include a lot of other phrasings and say, this is all the times it says, don't be afraid. But it is a, a truism in that the Bible's relevant every day of the year. Um, even if the new, numerology doesn't play out, you know. Uh, and you should not be afraid, because the moment you're afraid, that means you stopped trusting God. What is it, the, uh, <laughs> another fun saying I've heard, worry is a mild form of atheism, right? That because you're worried about it, that means you don't believe God is in control and he doesn't have your best interest in mind. There we got it though. Um, that's the the mere fact that you worry about something would indicate that you don't trust God to handle it competently. Which you know may or may not be true, but when you think about it, when you frame the situation in that way, you realize, oh, maybe maybe I should relax a little. It'll all pan out. I'm a I'm a pantheist. It'll all pan out. <laughs> God will make it all pan out in the end. Or the, uh, no, that's right, it was in regards to, uh, yeah, because pantheist is really, you believe everything is God, and he's everywhere, that's not, it's, um, it has to do with views of the book of Revelation, a, uh, the millennial reign of Christ, whether, uh, the different types of it, you know, amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial, or, and it's, uh, the, the pan-millennial. It'll all pan out in the end. God will figure it out. Anyway, uh... There I go. Say, anyway, uh, pause. It's funny. Yelling at your phone in a car forces you to really think about your patterns of speech. It's fascinating. Uh, things you probably do all the time every day. You don't really consciously process that that's a thing that you're doing. Anyway... Uh, which is another thing I do. I just yell anyway and then jump right back into it. So, elections and stuff. Elections are... They make... They make the specific moral action one should take a little fuzzier than I would like. Um, I do think the entire sort of American structure is designed to uh, keep a robust, free society free and uh, enslave, rapidly enslave an immoral, corrupt society. Um, but I would call that entropy because sin is always easier than righteousness. And en masse, a large group of people the majority of them are going to choose sin. That's unfortunately the way of it. The righteous is always a remnant and a, a smaller subsection of the larger populace. That's just how things work out. There's always more tares than wheat. 
So that's the goal is to simply move forward in fear and trembling and by prayer. And we are the the righteous are always more than you think. Always more than you think. Uh, Elisha, God sends fire from the sky. And Elisha runs away because he hears he's going to get killed or something. Or Elijah, sorry. No, was it? No, yeah, it's Elisha. Elisha with a, the SH. The second second guy. He runs away. And uh, he says, I alone have, have uh, stuck by you. And God rebukes him and says, no. I've kept 7,000 who have not bent the knee to Baal. You know, you thought, the, the guy who's the most informed, the one God's talking directly to, and he just didn't see it. He didn't uh, He didn't know how big God's remnant really was. It's always bigger than you think. He thought it was just him. And God said, no, I'm keeping tabs. I know. I know my own. I got more than 7,000, buddy. It's, uh, it's funny. It's, it's funny that one of the comforting things God can say to you is you're not special. That, you know, that would mean that you're in the company of many, many saints. If you, you know, if you're a faithful follower of God, to know that you're not special. There are many more of you, you just don't see them. Maybe you can't see them, maybe you're too far away. Maybe you're just at a little church in a little area. And it's, there are many more elsewhere, you just don't know. There's a balance, you know, God God makes everybody special. He cares about you individually, but at the same time, you're not special. God is not a respecter of persons. It's uh it's a good it's important to have that balance that yes, veggie tales are right, God made you special. And you're not special. God loves everybody. He desires all to come to repentance. The same offer that you've accepted. He's offered to everybody. And don't think that you're the only buddy, only person who accepted that offer. There are many more than you know. Down through the ages and even right now. It's cool. You're not special. Can I get in front of this guy? Nah. So... Driving makes the live stream perilous. Election. I should have written. A, I should have written notes down. <laughs> so I had an outline of stuff I want to talk about. It's been a bit of a ramble. I apologize for the lack of clear, concise direction that it's had. So, I got it. I can't get in front of that guy now. Changing lanes. So I think politics needs to have a stronger foothold in Christian media. And I think it's important. Uh, I forget the fancy guy that has the quote. Michael Knowles quotes it all the time, but it's uh, that all political differences are fundamentally theological. 
uh, politics is downstream of culture. Culture is always going to be downstream from religion. And uh, religion is just a strongly held set of beliefs that drive you to action. Uh, another way to say it would be your worldview, your meta narrative, whatever fancy word you want to say. It used to be the word religion. But uh, it's, it's another pet peeve for another day. The word religion is a good thing. James says it's pure and undefiled religion. Pure religion and undefiled before the Lord is this that you uh, meet widows and orphans in their distress and remain unstained from the world. So religion's a good thing. And uh, making this false dichotomy between Jesus and religion is preposterous. I was, that was more than I meant to say on it, but yeah, that's my pet peeve. Maybe I'll go in more in depth another day. But that's not, it's tangential. I think it's important, as evidenced by John the Baptist, that a Christian would speak truth about the people that are in power and about the state of the world. That's what Jesus is doing when he's calling out the Pharisees. He has this elite political group that's trying to silence him. And what does he do? He calls them out for their nonsense. You use the traditions of men to invalidate the law of God. You don't follow God. You sit there and want to nitpick when other people are obeying rules and you don't even follow them yourself. The greatest rules are love and justice, mercy and compassion, and you don't follow those. What is it? The uh, You tithe mint and dill and cumin, but neglect the weightier things of the law. He says you should have done that and these also. So he wasn't saying, don't tithe mint and dill and cumin, don't tithe your spice cabinet. He's like, fine, that's good. You should pay attention. You should care that much about what God wants you to do. But why are you just abandoning the bigger stuff? God told you to do those little things because it was supposed to guide you to the big things. Why does God care that he gets a tenth of all your income? Oh, well, it's because he wants your best. He wants you to give him your best. He wants you to always remember him in everything because it keeps you from being selfish. It keeps you from getting stupid and doing dumb things, or it should. It keeps you from being selfish and desiring wealth. It keeps you remembering that, oh, I have to give a tenth to God. Why? Because this entire thing isn't really mine. This entire thing is actually God's. It's on loan. That's why. That's why tithe is important. Hmm. Yep, I'm stuck here. <laughs> Man. I took a wrong turn and I, I have to hit the next exit and come back and I'm looking at all that stacked up traffic I gotta sit in now. Because I, uh, they keep changing the traffic patterns here and I'm, I'm still getting used to it. Oh well. So I think, I think it is a problem when Christians try to be aloof from politics. Uh, you can address politics, but Satan's going to try and push you to be, that's all you talk about now. 
No, pull back. Address politics, call out the people in power that are doing corrupt things, make a clear point for who you stand for, and then get back to your main message. That's not my main message, and we're back to it, right? Socialism is evil, so I voted for Trump because he's the party of not socialism, not infanticide. And then, you know, we dial it back. My main message is everybody needs to learn more about theology because it's not that complicated and the resources are out there. And people in charge in Christian circles, in media and uh, pastors, need to pay more attention to blue collar. They're being forgotten on accident and you need to pay attention. And that's it. This, oh, I'm doing it again. Oh, well. So yeah, that's it. I don't I don't plan on doing extra political stuff. But uh, I'm a Christian. I have a stance on that. And I'm going to speak it. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with the... Well, it's, they're all connected, right? The, uh, the 501c3 designation of... Oh, they don't let me turn there. Of, um, of churches is what limits them, not the Johnson Amendment. The Johnson Amendment only affects 501c3 nonprofit organizations. And uh, lo and behold, most churches are 501c3 nonprofit organizations, which is interesting because there's a specific provision that says churches are exempt from taxes. They don't need to be registered with the government. What registering them with the government does is allow donations to the church to be tax write-offs for the donor. That's all the 501c3 gives you, is it allows bigger donations so rich people can write off their donations to your church so you get bigger donations. That's the whole goal of it. And because no one was willing to give that up, the pastors chose to remain silent due to the Johnson Amendment. So the Johnson Amendment didn't silence anybody. The pastors chose to remain silent for money, is the broad brush of it. Yes, there are a lot of details, but we're being good stewards. Not of the gospel. Not when the government dictates what you can and cannot say. That's why the pastors are all so vocal this election, is because Trump issued an executive order that said we won't enforce the Johnson Amendment. Not actually overturning it. Well, I mean, he can't because it's an amendment, right? Um... But that's, that's important. That's something important to know. Uh, it's important to understand that the churches are able to speak out. Yep, yep, this is me. Um, and should speak out on political matters. And uh, they shouldn't allow how uh, donations being tax write-offs to control what they say at the pulpit. But I'm glad they're speaking up now. I'm glad a lot more of them have uh, openly endorsed candidates and done all the good things that they're doing. And, uh, all right, now we get to sit and wait. And sit and wait. I just added 20 minutes to my drive because I missed a turn. Highways are awesome. So much for fixing 28. Anyway, uh, that's... Um, so that's my main, my main concern, though, is that Christians need to be more willing to speak truth 
and speak truth about political matters, and we just need to expect everybody to be strong enough to listen to people that disagree with them, uh, and just go on with our lives. And uh, whatever consequences are come of that, you have to allow them. The, John John the Baptist got his head cut off for speaking truth, speaking what was true about a person who was in power, and uh, it you know what happened happened. Yeah, things things get so confusing though with with politics, and they get. It muddies the waters. Having having a voice, having a vote now, it makes it blurry what you are and are not morally responsible for. And uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not particularly fond of that. I do. I don't know. I I like having a vote at the same time. I mean, I feel like it's just placating it because you still there's a lot of uncertainty around the vote. I mean, I assume it gets counted fairly. Um, but in an election, as we see now, the people who are actually in charge are the ones that count the votes. They're the ones who really decide who wins and loses, are the people that count the votes. Uh, not exactly the people that vote. Whoever counts the votes, you've sort of tacitly agreed to allowing them to select your leader, because you have to trust that they're being honest, and that they deliver an honest count. Uh... So it's, I don't know, it's a little frustrating because you can say, yeah, we elect the people, but you, you, you're assuming that everybody between your ballot and the inauguration ceremony is honest and forthright. Because if you have even a handful of sociopaths anywhere between point A and point B, anything can happen. You know, several hundred thousand votes can just show up at the last minute. Who knows? Um, it's interesting. It's just interesting. But, I don't know, once again, my focus is mainly on the, the morality of elections, because I it's ambiguous, but I think it's important to think about. Um, I, I'm not always super excited that my answer for stuff is I don't know, but I think I don't know is really important. It's okay not to know things. It's okay to not have an opinion about something because you haven't done enough research on it because time is limited. I don't have hours and hours every day to sit there and, and research every little thing that's important. So I pick the things that are directly relevant to my life and I look up those and the rest of the stuff, I kind of have to broad brush. I find some sources I trust and, you know, well, what they say checks out logically and I got to brush past it and get on with my life. There are other more important things to do. But I don't take that other person's opinion as ironclad. I go, so far, I agree with this guy. I haven't had time to look into it. It stays. I've got, I've got three buckets, right, in my brain. I've got an I don't know bucket right in the middle. And then I have a that's wrong bucket. And I have a that's right bucket. And the buckets, the contents aren't exactly fixed all the time, right? Um, I've done enough research and study on my own, I believe the Bible is true and accurate, both historically and scientifically and theologically, as a document. It's a true and accurate document and most accurately represents objective reality. Boom. Goes in the I don't know bucket. And all of the logical consequences of that stay in the, in the I know, sorry, not the I don't know bucket. It comes out of the I don't know bucket, goes in the that's right bucket. 
I got carried away for a second. Confused my buckets. So it's in the that's right bucket. And all the logical repercussions of that stay. The rest of life, most of it sits in the I don't know bucket unless I've spent a lot of time doing detailed study. And then it comes out of the I don't know bucket and goes in the that's right bucket. But if I get more information or new information, I'll take it out of the that's right bucket and put it in the I don't know bucket again until I figure it out. The same with the that's wrong bucket. I'll find something, I'll look at it and go, that's wrong. And I'll put it in the that's wrong bucket. And then later on, more information. And I go, oh, hey, never mind. That goes to the I don't know bucket for a while and I think on it some more. And that's how, I'm, that's how I think about things. That's how I form opinions. Um, I have things that do not change and will not change um, in the way that I see the world. And then every, almost everything else is I don't know. Unless I can see it with my eyes, touch it with my hands, um, research it, pray over it, it goes to the that's right bucket. And uh, it's okay to not know things. And you can have an opinion and just don't be so upset about your opinion. And go, well, you know, this is my opinion, but I don't know. I haven't done enough research to be certain, but this is the direction I'm leaning because of these other things in the that's right bucket. They all kind of lean towards this direction on that particular opinion. And uh, that's, I don't know, that's the way I do it. But uh, it's, important, it's important to think. It's important to be certain, to have done your own research about things. To, uh, to think critically about stuff. And you don't have to do it about everything, but do it about important things. Do it about big things. Uh, religion, God, the universe, why we're here. How you should lead your family. What's your role as a father and husband? That kind of stuff. Those are big, important things you need to know. And you can't say, I don't know. I mean, you, everybody starts at the I don't know place. But to, to be moving intentionally, do your research, do study, look at you know, different uh, authorities on the subject. But I always, when I listen to an authority on a subject, authority or expert, those are all meaningless terms, by the way. It's just somebody who's done a lot of research. So as soon as you've done a lot of research, you're an expert. It's a, it's a term or a phrase we throw around without, without caution, with reckless abandon. No, it's so-and-so is an expert. Uh, okay, but the primary sources they used are non-existent. They base that on secondary research, which is questionable. But they're an expert. Don't you dare disagree. Okay. I'm going to disagree all I want. So that's, uh, that's the thing, though, is you should be looking and thinking and trying to figure out, you should be working to become an expert on things that are important, right? How do I be a father? How do I be a husband? How do I be a Christian man? What does that even mean? Um, how do I do my job at work better? Uh, how, how do I work in a way that honors God? Those are the, uh, the directions that you should be looking and, and really searching um, for what to do. And then when you evaluate experts, right, people that know more than you do about the topic, always be looking for where did they get that idea? Oh yeah, that sounds good. Don't take it at that sounds good. Go, that's fascinating, right? That sounds good. Why? Why do you say that? What is your scriptural foundation for that? You know, what Bible verse do you use to say that's how I should work? Um, how did you use that Bible verse? Let me read some commentaries in that whole passage of scripture that you pulled the Bible verse from and see if you're using it correctly. I want to know for myself. 
Um, you know, when God asks you, hey, how did you parent your kids? And you're like, well, this guy on the internet assured me that this Bible verse means what he said. That doesn't check out. That's not going to hold up. He's going to be like, oh, okay, so you, you couldn't read it for yourself? You don't know the, you didn't have a copy of the Bible? Trust some internet guy? I, I want to be able to answer, these are the Bible verses I use. This is the scripture I studied. These are the examples from scripture I pulled from for my fathering, for my, uh, for my being a husband. And this is how I looked at it. This is how I applied your example as father and husband. And gave it my best shot, man. Christ and the Holy Spirit covers the, the rest, but you that doesn't mean that we're giving up thinking. Um, farming, I love farming. It's a perfect analogy for this, right? If you don't plow the field and you don't plant seeds, you're not going to have anything grow. And God rewards the farmer that takes the time to plow the earth, fertilize it, whatever the order that is, and plant seeds and water them. That guy gets rewarded with more food than a guy who wanders out in the field, throws a couple of handfuls out and goes, God will provide. That guy gets plants that grow food and it'll probably be just barely enough. But when you work diligently and intelligently and think critically and you go, hey, I did this last time and it got a bigger yield. Let me do that again, but better and over everything. God rewards that guy with a larger yield, a larger crop. God provides the growth. He doesn't make corn grow, right? You just do really good at planting it. And if God, God can still say, oh, now there's a drought. Now there's a famine. Now you don't have food. Too bad. Uh, God's fully free to do that. He's the one who provides the actual growth, but we're able to work alongside him and we get a larger blessing by working critically and intelligently. It's the same way with fathering your family. Uh, it's the same way with being a husband to your wife. It's, it's about being intelligent and uh, thinking critically. Intelligent as a, as a verb, right? Um, not everybody's given different levels of intelligence. I, I totally get it. It's like being tall though. Being smart isn't good or bad. It's just more helpful. And then it, it gets to a point where it stops being helpful, right? There's a guy, uh, people who are taller than like six foot five, they don't fit in pickup trucks anymore. They don't fit on normal beds. They have lower life expectancy and their knees and back constantly ache. Being tall is nice to a point. Being, it's the same way with being smart. You can be so smart, you don't know how to interact with other humans anymore unless they're almost as smart as you, and then you can have a conversation. Otherwise, you're like talking French, and you guys don't, um, don't, see, don't understand each other. It's not good or bad. It's just helpful, and then when you get too much, it stops being helpful. Um, anyway, what I'm, what I'm saying intelligent, you need to parent, uh, you need to be a father or husband intelligently is, is as, a, as a verb. You need to be thinking about what you're doing and do it on purpose. It's the, you know, the phrase, you need to be intentional, man. We just need to have relationships intentionally and relationally and be intentional. Um, I can't respect you if you wear skinny jeans, by the way. I just can't. It's a medical disability I have. Uh, I don't care how many people call you pastor or if you stand up during worship and play music. I can't respect you if you wear skinny jeans. Um, that, tangent, I know. But 
Those are the kind of guys that talk. It's a buzzword now to be intentional. But that's the idea behind it, though, right? Is doing something on purpose with intelligence. You're going to... You're the man. Let me in. Um, taking your time to think about what you're doing and to do things on purpose. Are you going to catch everything? No. Should you stress out constantly about every little decision? No. Uh, But in general, right, think in terms of strategies, in terms of big picture, and uh, how how that's going to affect your family long term. Uh, What forms of discipline are you using for different family members? Uh, How how are you disciplining your children? Uh, Every kid's going to be different. Some children react to certain kinds of discipline better than others. And it's important to... It's important to know that and adjust the strategy for each child a little bit. Um, You want to be fair, obviously, at all times, and you want to be consistent. But being fair means each child gets what they need, and they don't always need the same thing. So there's uh, there's that. But to be thinking about that, to be doing it on purpose, um, it's important to have consistent date nights with your... uh, Oh, I didn't see... Oh, I'm sorry, man. I didn't see the the blinker. I didn't see it. Oh, a guy behind me let him in. We're good. It's like shuffling a deck of cards. All the the merge lanes and slow-moving traffic. It's great. So anyway, the... uh, But that's the thing, though, is have... One thing, have regular date nights with your wife. And the sole purpose is business date. Talk shop. Hey, I noticed so-and-so is doing this. You know, hey, I noticed, you know... Our son is behaving this way. What do we do about that? How can we help? How did he react to that one discipline? You know, if, if he didn't get the desired result, modify. What are we doing? Talk shop. Um, but that's, that's the important thing is to be communicating with your wife, be communicating um, with your kids, but be doing that on purpose with a mind towards doing it better. Uh, being intelligently moving forward as you're as you're parenting, as you're going through life, right? Do things on purpose. Don't just take opinions other people tell you, and run with them and yell about it, but be be purposeful and say, "Hey, I don't know, but this is my opinion right now, based on what I do know. There might be more out there that I'm missing, but this is how it sits right now." And that's a lot more relaxed political conversation when you can have political conversations. I think it's insane that people say, don't talk politics or religion at work. I think we should talk politics and religion at work. I think we should all be adults and listen to people that disagree with us and, uh, okay, be relaxed about it, right? You should be able to work with somebody that you disagree with politically and or religiously and go, okay, well, now what? Okay, we just keep working, right? Okay, that's it. You know what? You find out where each, everybody stands, and then you know ask some questions about stuff. Pardon me. You know you tailor it. You're not going to rant at them, but you know when they know where you stand on things, you know that's it. If it comes up, it comes up. You you shouldn't run around yelling at everybody in the office. You're going to hell. Yes, you believe that's true. Um, but it should happen in the course of the conversation about things, 
and I, uh, I constantly am introducing Christ into how I solve problems or how I view the world or things, or I'll, I'll thank God for his, his kindness and favor when I pass an inspection or when I, uh, um, when I find something that was lost or I'm missing one little part or a screw or I go, well, I don't know. Let me see if I have one in the truck. Ha! God provides. Add that extra whatever connector we need for the, the Jimmy Bob. Um, it's important to keep it present in the conversation and then you'll find people ask questions about how do you handle this life thing or how does how do you handle this relationship thing or, you know, you, you have a wife. What do you think about XYZ? All of all of your interactions then become moments of witness to say, well, this is how I uh, interact with my wife around that because as a Christian, this is what God establishes for marriages and we find that works really well. And so we've stuck with this pattern because it comes from Scripture. And we've had, I won't say zero problems, but we've had much fewer problems than a, a lot of other married couples. And uh, it's awesome. Quick shout out to Emerson Egerich, Love and Respect. Emerson Egerich, Love and Respect, it's amazing. We did, uh, we went through it with uh, an awesome couple that uh, we know, my wife and I did, with uh, Cheech and Ruth Saria. And it's been uh, one of the cornerstones. Uh, Christ obviously is the cornerstone. Um, everything starts with Him. In addition to that, or rather as a, as a supplement, to give us a real hands-on grasp to actually build on, um, we, we were able to use that, uh, that time we had with the more experienced married couple as well as the ideas put forward in the Love and Respect series to good effect. His, uh, his understanding of the, what he calls the crazy cycle where um, men need respect and women need love. And we both need uh, both, but men need respect more and women need love more and uh, and there's a crazy cycle that happens when men feel disrespected and they behave in an unloving way or when women feel unloved and they behave disrespectfully and it feeds itself so that's the uh, there we go traffic's opened up a little bit and so that's that's been a very helpful framework for us and to have that vocabulary to understand um, men fundamentally think and communicate and emote on a wavelength of respect and women fundamentally think and emote on, and communicate on a level of uh, love and knowing that it's a lot easier to bridge that gap when you know there's a language barrier when you know there's a culture barrier ugh, sorry when you know that there's a culture barrier it's easier to bridge the gap uh, when you don't when you don't understand that there's a culture or language barrier, it's real easy to just start yelling past each other and feeling upset, which is what happens most of the time. Pardon me. Ah, uh, here we go. So that's, that's how you can witness in the workplace is it's just connected with how you live. And that's important, and it's the same way with politics. Um, I had a couple people ask me how I voted. How did I vote? Well, I told them. I think socialism is evil, and one of the candidates is openly socialist, or is very clearly 
all of the people behind him are socialists. And they want to ruin this country and make it like Venezuela. Because that's all that happens with socialism. I don't, I'm not going to attribute motives, but that's, that's all that's happening. So my vote goes to not infanticide and not socialism right now. Uh, when, a social, when socialism isn't on the ballot, my vote goes not infanticide. That's, I'm a single-issue voter, and I vote for the whatever guy says he's not going to expand infanticide rights. So, that's, that's where I'm at. That's what's going on. And, uh, yeah, they started talking about elections, so I'm trying to keep it mostly on task. Ah, manners have nothing to do with personal beliefs. There we go. There we go. It's my sister on. Hey, person doing a thing. I'm not going to keep reading because I'm driving, and that would be perilous. But yeah, manners, manners have nothing to do with, uh, with personal beliefs and politics. You can be very polite and believe very different things. Um, and at the same time, like you don't, it's not exactly about being polite. It's just about not being a jerk. Uh, I mean, being polite or manners implies some sort of extra decorum and be very cordial. Uh, you can, there are terse, abrupt people that are kind of hard to get along with. They're not evil or, or it's not immoral. I mean, if you have the extra bandwidth to, to be polite, awesome. But otherwise, you know, just do your best, do what you can. Um, I think I, I thought the world used to be more, uh, a little more robust. As a child, I remember hearing quite often, it's a free country. So you'd have somebody doing something obnoxious where they'd be waving their hands around your face or making a bunch of obnoxious noises and you tell them to stop and they go, it's a free country. That would end the conversation. You go, oh, right, it is. In order for me to be free, I have to let you be free even though it's obnoxious. We'll cry. And that was it. You're like, well, I just have to deal with you now or uh, learn to tolerate your nonsense or convince you to stop being a jerk, you know, whatever's going on that day. But that's, um, I think I think people get more tough by simply expecting them to be tough, which isn't always being ultra polite, and it's certainly not uh, hiding the truth from them. You know, speak boldly what you believe, and just uh, you know, just like, hey, those are facts, Jack. Yes, you know, I've, I think once or twice I've had people ask me point blank. You know, so you believe everybody who's not a Christian is going to hell? Yes. That's literally what being a Christian means. Oh, well, yeah, it's in the Bible. And that was it. That was the whole conversation. Like, it's not being rude, but it's also not entirely polite. Uh, but it's it's true. That's, that's how it works. That's what being a Christian means is you, you know, you follow the Bible and you, you live it out in your life, and you agree that the Bible's objectively correct, and uh, you'll find it's the only fully satisfying uh, meta-narrative. It's the only one that'll actually leave you feeling fulfilled in uh, every area of life when followed properly. It doesn't mean life is easy, but it's fulfilling. Um, even the suffering has meaning and purpose. Uh, whereas, you know, Buddhism is just kind of placidly resigns to endure any and all torment until you die of starvation. Um, and that's that's somehow reaching nirvana. Uh, 
atheism, which leaves you in this weird malaise of uh, nothingness. And uh, yeah, nihilism is the only proper logical conclusion of atheism. Is nihilism. Which means nothing matters. Nihilism is just a fancy word for people who believe nothing matters at all. And so yeah, that's, uh, that's all atheism leaves you. Is you're just uh, some filthy meat bag that's a bald monkey that learned how to make some neat stuff and then you're dead. So, uh, yeah, being a hedonist or a nihilist are really the only ways to go as a, uh, as an atheist, as a, a true atheist, where you believe it and you're going to live like it's true. Uh, instead, a lot of people like calling themselves atheists and then they live like Christianity is true, which I find fascinating. But these are conversations that you should be allowed to have at work and other people shouldn't be so upset and crying over it. That's the other thing that doesn't make sense about atheism is they get really upset about people believing in a weird sky god. Like, they've got to sit there and go, Does your sky daddy tell you that? Does a spaghetti monster say that? Well, you better go ask your sky daddy, your invisible sky god. I, I, I I don't understand... How it makes you so upset if God doesn't exist? Why is that a thing? Because, like, I'm not upset. Uh, I think you're denying an objective reality, but that's, you know, that's on you, pal. It'd be like arguing that the sky is blue. It it takes one sentence, right? The sky is blue. It's clearly blue. No, it's not. Okay, buddy. We're done. We're done. We're done forever. I don't go around to YouTube channels denying sky blueness and get in arguments paragraphs long about the wavelengths of color and light and no I just like I'd leave it alone I'm like okay (laughs) those guys must be having fun I guess enjoy life man it's all you've got and uh, you let it alone Uh, but the fact that they have to sit there and they have entire channels devoted to promoting atheism how do you 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 have to see that what you're doing is a religion you have to see that the only way you could convert from Christianity to being an atheist is if atheism is a religion. Uh, and then now you have to listen to your clergy, the priests of, of scientists and politicians that, that give you meaning and, and transcendent value. That's where a lot of this is coming from, is all these atheists, they've, they've gotten their misplaced sense of trans, uh, transcendent meaning from politics. Because that's all you have. That's the only thing that transcends yourself is the group. And the only way to dictate what the group says is through politics and political action. And so they find their transcendent fulfillment in that. Actively destroying culture. Actively destroying countries and society and human lives. Yeah, it's all kinds of fun. But, once again, we should be adult enough to talk about these things at work without everybody crying and throwing hissy fits because they disagree with me. Uh, Did you combust into flames the moment I disagreed with you? No. Well, okay then. Everything's fine. You're fine. So let's continue disagreeing and, I don't know, maybe have a meaningful conversation. Let's agree to disagree. Why? I mean, you're clearly an intelligent person. I'm an intelligent person. Maybe we should intelligently discuss the facts of the matter and learn something new, even if we still don't ultimately change our opinions. I think that would be fascinating. 
because my side is objectively true, I don't need to defend anything. I can just hang back and wait and watch and see what happens. See what happens. Because when we objectively search for truth, we found it. And uh, you're going to wind up at the Bible. Christianity is real. God is alive. And uh, he wants you to do some things. Like, stop being a moron. And read your Bible, pray every day. And you grow, grow, grow. And all the, all the good stuff like that. So, that's all I've got. Um, elections make the moral ramifications of politics a little fuzzy. I think Christians should be bolder about talking about it. And I think 501c3 is a crutch. And the churches have shackled themselves. And that's all I got. And uh, so yeah, do what you're... Read your Bible, pray every day, and you grow, grow, grow. Godspeed.